Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith which that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now which has been manifested in the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I have been appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Among them are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best. Present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Philetus and Hymenaeus, 
who have swerved from the truth by saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are vessels not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For from among them are some who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you are acquainted with the sacred texts, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds on that day. Beware of him yourself, for he is very strongly opposed to our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. So the Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every wicked deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who is ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Uh, please help Phil to speak clearly and to encourage the body. Uh, please help him to glorify you uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So that illustrates for you in picture so you can see I'm a very visual person. And I'm going to do a few things that if you've been to my Ecclesiastes class, you've seen before today. But that fire really illustrates verse 7 of what we just quoted. Verse 6 and 7. Paul charges Timothy to remind, he reminds him that he is to rekindle the fire, fan into flame, whatever you have it in that translation. And like that, God just doesn't just want us to have this little burning fire, this tiny one, right? You may think that guy was stupid, but that is a great picture of the kind of fire God wants in our lives. He wants us to burn brightly so that people can see his love through us. I think the question, though, for us is, as I've titled the sermon, how can we possibly continue? Because we all know we want to burn like that for Jesus, or most of us do. But there are many things that get in the way, and oftentimes we ask ourselves, how can I possibly continue? Has the call of God in your life ever seemed so distant in your day-to-day life that you wonder if God is even there? If he's even really calling you to do something, has it ever seemed out of reach or difficult to be in God's presence on a daily basis? You know, when I went on sabbatical at the beginning of this year, I was actually at that place. I remember, and there are some friends here from Babel.org, so they're going to hear a little of my heart from that office. One day, uh, before I went on sabbatical in January, I walked into that office, and I had very little sleep. I was discouraged by my writing skills. Um, I was a little bit discouraged at some of the opposition of the gospel. And I sat down at my desk. I grabbed my pen to write out my thoughts, and this is what happened. Mm. And it went on like that for like at least five minutes. And in my head, I was running through all the questions. 
that I think happened to us. Is God with me? What's wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? Maybe you felt like a failure because you know sharing the gospel is important, but no one wants it to happen. You included in that conversation. You struggle with that. Maybe you face great opposition in the culture with your kids at school, at the workplace, and you wonder, how am I supposed to continue in the gospel? Maybe for you, even going to work is a proposition that makes you sick to your stomach and tears flow every day. Maybe for you, people have abandoned you in life. Maybe they've abandoned the faith. We ask the question, I think, at different times in our lives, and maybe you're even asking yourself today, how can I continue in the faith? How do I fan the flame of my faith? I'm going to answer that today, Lord willing, in 2 Timothy. If that's you, God has something to say to you. And I want to give you an illustration that you can really wrap your heads around. I want to bring something out today, a gas can. And I want you to remember that video and this gas can. I want to challenge you today that God wants you to pour gas on the fire of your faith so that it explodes like that. People think you're silly. That's how on fire for the faith you are, as Paul charged Timothy. You know, I want to give us a little bit of a background that will help us identify with Timothy as we look at this letter as you've just heard it read. You know, Paul is in prison. This, this is his last letter, most likely. And this isn't the prison where he's getting to sit in his own home. This is a dark, deep cellar. In fact, it's called Mamertine Prison. You could Google it now. Please don't now, but you could do it later. <laughs> uh, I see you out there. But it's two layers, and they actually had to cut steps into it because the only way in and out was a little manhole, like this size, right? So they lower Paul in, raise him out, or they lower in, and there were two levels to that. It's a very discouraging circumstances. And yet Paul doesn't take that tone, does he? Actually, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to be the shepherd there, to be the pastor, to preach the word as we've heard as we read through Second Timothy. Now, Ephesus was a place of much things that had happened, much activity in God's powerful work there. We read that in Acts in 18 and 19. There it was that Apollos was discipled and trained. The sick were healed by simply touching Paul's handkerchief or his napkin. That's pretty amazing. The sons of Siva were beat up by demon-possessed man. So there's some activity going on in that city. A huge pile of magic books was burned. Demetrius started a massive uproar. What I want you to catch about that, why I say that, is because God had done miraculous things, but here we find Timothy discouraged. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.3, we read, Paul says, I urge you to continue on at Ephesus. So something is discouraging, and I think we can identify with this. It might be that a little bit of the luster of the faith has gone away. Does it ever seem like that for you? That fire at your first salvation or when you've seen great works of God has dwindled a little bit. And so you're asking, what does God want me to do? And so... I want to challenge you today and give you some specific things from the text and in your life that will help you pour gas on the fire of your faith as Paul charged Timothy to do. So if you want to turn in your Bibles now, if you aren't there already, you can look with me. I'm not going to read the verses. I'll reference it in 2 Timothy 1, and we're going to be primarily in 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. I think the first thing that Paul tells Timothy is that he could continue in the faith by getting out the gas of two things. A divine relationship, 
and a divine enablement for that relationship. I'm pulling primarily on verses 2 and 7 in this section. The divine relationship, which, which is going to pour gas on that fire, is rooted in three things. Verse 2, grace. Do you see it there? Mercy and peace. These are the things that Paul knew Timothy had received from God and needed to be reminded of. For Paul, so that's the first thing that will pour fire, pour gas on the fire, is grace, mercy, and peace. And that's what Paul encouraged Timothy with. The second thing, and I think Paul really models it here actually in the text, if you look at verse 3, it's thankfulness, which is really worship, and service, which is really worship. In other words, these two things Paul models for Timothy in the text there. He says, I thank God. That's going to pour fire on Timothy's relationship if he continues in Paul's pattern there. Thankfulness to God and then service as well. Paul had a certain service, right? He begins the, the epistle with Paul, an apostle of God. That's his calling. Timothy, too, had a certain service, a shepherd, a teacher, an evangelist, many things. He was a jack of all trades, it seems. And guys and gals, we do, too. God calls each one of us to a special service. And engaging in that service, we'll see later, actually is like pouring gasoline on the fire of our faith. Another thing for Paul, as he began with Timothy, that fanned the flame is a clear conscience. Isn't it beautiful, as my brother Kerry says, I don't know where he is sitting here, but he said to me, there he is, it feels so good to be clean, doesn't it? It feels so good to be clean and walking with the Lord. And so at the end of his life, this relationship with Paul for Timothy could fan the flame of his faith. You know, sometimes relationships are based on things that may not be the purest of motive. Maybe we hope to get something out of someone. Maybe we um, desire them in unrighteous ways. Or maybe it's just mixed motives for us and not gospel-centered. But at the end of his life, And the last thing he could say, I have a clear conscience. That's something for Timothy that would fuel his faith like pouring gas on it. Another thing, if you look at verse 5 with me, that I think would fan the flame for Timothy was to remember his sincere faith. Now, I think this is a point where we might need to back up and reference again what I talked about in the beginning. Remember that this is a place of difficulty for Timothy. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you doubt God's call for you or maybe even you doubt your salvation? Maybe that was yesterday. Maybe it was 30 years ago. But we can identify with him here. And what we need to fan the flame of our faith is to remember our salvation. Remember what God had done in us. And not only that, we have a great family here, don't we? Timothy had a family history that Paul is reminding him of of faith. And so that is going to fan the flame of his faith. Pour gas on it, if you will. And finally, for Timothy, God's provision of power and love, my favorite verse in the whole book, power, love, and self-control, provided by the Spirit of God, enabled by him, we're going to fan the flame of his ministry. They pour gas on it. But where does that gas come from? And this is an important concept for us to understand. That is gas. But whatever God demands, and he certainly demands things of us, doesn't he? And I think that we have lost a little bit of that edge. God would like. God doesn't know. He asks and commands us these things. But the great thing and the promises of God, as one of my coworkers has taught me over the last year, is that whatever God demands, 
in his promises. He provides. So there's no doubt for Timothy here that his faith was going to be fanned because of the Holy Spirit within him that gives him power, love, and self-control. Let's look at a few words about each one of those words. The power to continue despite opposition and our own fickle hearts. It's not enough, right? We read in Romans 7. It's not enough that we must contend with the world. We have in here the body of death, right? Our own hearts sometimes oppose us, and I think that was very true. So God has given Timothy by the Holy Spirit that dwelt within him the power to overcome He gave him love, and I think that's a love for God, but also for those people who make life difficult. You know who I'm talking about. It's that guy or gal at work. Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's, I don't know. But for him, it was people who were opposing the message. In fact, I can imagine him up here and preaching, and then as soon as he's done, four or five older guys come and confront him and tell him he's wrong. How discouraging that must have been for him. And yet, here is what Paul says that we have a supernatural love by the Holy Spirit for others and for God. And I think then also self-control could manifest itself in Timothy's life with the ability to choose what was right and good, whereas before, especially before salvation, we have no choice. We always choose the wrong, the unrighteous, the path that leads away from God. And so these are the things that Paul told Timothy that the Holy Spirit had given him. But I don't want to put these out of the context, especially on Father's Day, of the entire letter. That letter is one word, basically, a discipleship manifesto. It's two words. But it's about discipleship. (laughs) It's a discipleship manifesto. And so all of these things, right, have this context of a deep, personal relationship between Timothy and Paul. And guys, I have to tell you, that without that, a lot of this becomes meaningless, doesn't it? I mean, Paul was able to communicate these things because of the work he had done with Timothy, alongside him, in him, and that God had enabled. I mean, it would be amazing to be able to work with someone and watch them get healed when they touched a napkin. It's amazing to work with you guys and see people to come to know to Jesus. I'm sure as it happened at camp. What a joy that is. And in that relationship then, we can do these things. Like I said, the Bible calls that discipleship. It's commanded by Jesus in Matthew 28, and it's continued through. In fact, one of the key passages in the epistles, so the letters after the Gospels and Acts, is here. And I read it, or I said it from memory. 2-2. Trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also what he had heard. You know, I think that this gas, these things that Paul has told Timothy to put on the fire are always purchased at the pump, okay? So you follow it? We get this gas from the pump of God's divine relationship with us and our divine enablement from Him. Sometimes, I think God runs the greatest Uber business ever. For those of you who are like, Uber... Is that, the Ger- is that a German word? No, it's, it's like a taxi service, right? They pick you up anywhere, drop you off anywhere, and it'll cost you however long, how long and how far it is, right? They'll, they will literally take you anywhere. In fact, Jen and I were in an airport in North Carolina, and they took a girl like 100 miles. It was crazy. They pick you up anywhere and take you where you need to be. I think God is a little bit like this in the life of Timothy, Paul, and us. He picks us up wherever we are. 
Whether we're on fire, He wants to push us in that fire. Whether we're old or young, whether we're new in the faith or old in the faith, He picks us up where we are and pushes us along. He has an amazing conversation with us while we're in the car. And a lot of times we don't want to talk to those people at the driving anyway. And so we get to the place where we asked to be, maybe not, maybe, and God drops us exactly where we need to be, and we're left encouraged. And we're thinking, man, frankly, I didn't want to talk to that guy anyway, and I'm sitting here in a better place. That's what happened to me on my sabbatical. God picked me up, put me where I needed to be, and dropped me off, and he met me in the book of Second Timothy. I think three things first stood out to me in this book. Right in the intro, and oftentimes we overlook the intro, but right in verse 2, grace. God's grace is available for the undeserving in salvation. Romans 3.23 and 24, the first part of 24, says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, watch this, by His grace freely. Every person... Amen is right. Every person on this planet from the beginning of time until now has not worked their way to God. They have had to rely on His grace and it comes to us only through Jesus Christ now. Jesus is the answer. God's mercy meets us where we are most helpless. And I got to tell you, this week I felt helpless I, I had, and I am, I can before the Lord tell you honestly, the most challenging mental week of preparation in my entire life. I was doing videos at Bible.org. I was memorizing 2 Timothy and praise God, it came out okay. <laughs> and I was preparing for this sermon. And I have a less than one year old daughter, so that adds to the joy of life, right? But God is right there, isn't He? In our helplessness, He meets us. Read what Romans says. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And if we need any more encouragement, let's hear what Jesus has to say with us in John 15, verse 5. Some of you probably know that by heart. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a little bit. No. What does it say? Nothing. Absolutely not a single thing. And so God meets us, me, you, every person for all of time in our helplessness and empowers us to continue on. Finally, and this one actually maybe even spoke to me the most on my sabbatical, God's peace stills our restless hearts. You know, I read that in Swindoll and it hit me like a truck. Because often we think of peace as something to do with war, something opposing us from the outside, don't we? Like, we're used to that. Wars and rumors of wars going on around us all the time. And yet it's the inner peace that I think Paul wants to communicate, both with God and with those around him, that is enabled by his relationship with God. And he wants him to walk in it. It says this in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 4, 7, which was read up here actually at the end. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Then, having these things as a foundation, God asks us, as I said earlier, what he demands, he provides. So God asks us to do things out of the grace, mercy, and peace he has given us. He asks us in verse 11, so next week I'm going to do the rest of 2 Timothy themes and also exegete a small part, but I want to touch some of chapter 1 because it's hard not to do when we talk about God making demands and fulfilling those demands by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at verse 11, I think sharing the gospel, calling people to obedience, and teaching them the Bible are clearly things that God asks of us. And then in verse 13 and 14, he sums up what it means to teach. And he says both our conduct and the quality of our doctrine. In other words, the facts, the knowledge, right things about God and his deeds are both important. So we can live and fan our flame, pour gas on it, because he gives us power, love, and self-control. You have zeal and passion to do something for God. I know many of you do. And he will provide the desire to do it. He will provide the power to overcome any obstacle. He will provide the love for that person that is unlovable. Reality, we all were unlovable at some times. When I wake up with my daughter, I am a little bit unlovable. Let's just be honest. When I'm struggling, I'm a little bit unlovable. And then he also gives us peace in our hearts. You know, I want to restate for you my central proposition. That is this. To continue in the faith, we must get out the gas that God provides for us, that he's outlined for Timothy, that's available because of our relationship with him and his divine enablement in the Holy Spirit. We must get out the gas. What is that gas? What, what actually pours out onto the flame and fans our fire so that we are shining? Hopefully not quite like that guy, but that fire, right? Here they are. And I think some of you, I know a couple of you by name I can think of, have demonstrated some of these. God is at work here. I really feel that in our body, doing some of these things. So let me give you a couple of those after I take a drink. First, thankful prayer. Thankful prayer is one of those things that it's really hard to be negative about your faith and your circumstances when you're giving thanks. Man, thank you, God, for this great sandwich. I hate my food. Thank you, God, for my wonderful kids. Man, I'm really... No, it doesn't happen that right that way, Right? In the heart of thanksgiving, which flows out of that relationship, we fan our flame. I think Dan, to us, has been a great example. Not just saying, I need this, I need that, but out of a repentant love for God, giving thanks upward and around in our body. So this week, where are you at? Are you purposing to fan the flame of your faith by giving thankful prayers to God? It could be as simple as something like, thanks, Lord, no matter what goes on around, my car started today. Thanks that I woke up. Thanks that my knee works or my hip, as in Carrie's case, or whatever it is, right? Thanks that I can do this life with you. No matter how old you are or how young you are, I think you can do that. I know you can. Second, and this one I think you can see has been demonstrated as powerful in my life, memorization and meditation on Scripture. Now, it's not just reading the Bible, right? I often talk to young people, and I find myself that when I come to the Bible, if I just read it, I'll walk away, and like three hours later, someone will ask me, or I'll try to remember what I read, and I'm like, I I don't know. But this last month, no matter how challenging it was in my heart and the difficulties, it has been such a blessing for Sam and I to memorize Scripture, and to my shame, I tell you, I haven't done this in like eight years. But it has changed my heart. 
It has made me, it has fanned the flame of faith in my life. You can meditate on so, I mean, there are a million things that you can meditate on. Each one of you, no matter how young you are in here, they aren't super young, you could memorize a verse. Let me tell you, I thought as I was memorizing, I think it's 88, how pathetic it was that I couldn't have memorized like two verses in a row up to that point for eight years. And now God, I mean, he, he brought that to my mind and blessed my life with it. And Sam and I have engaged in ministry together in that way. And I think as well, we've heard a testimony that it's been a blessing to our families and others as they see that and hear it repeatedly over the last month. <laughs> in fact, I think my wife has memorized one through seven just because she's listened to me. <laughs> oh, she's done a great service for me. Then I think what else can pour gas on that flame, if you will? is engaging in service and ministry. As Paul says there in verse 3, serving, doing what God has called you to do, will fan the flame. For Timothy, that was true. He says, carry out your ministry. In chapter 4, if Sam was Timothy, I told him as Paul, fulfill your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. Be where he wants you. That will fan the flame of your faith. And finally... I would be remiss if I did not say that all of these, again, are in the context of relationships. They are done with other people in this body, those who God brings into your life, and you cannot do them without it. For whatever reason, God has chosen to use us, broken vessels as we are, to carry forth the gospel. That's amazing to me. And he has given us the task of doing this life together So this is my challenge for you, I guess, today as my central application for getting out the gas and pouring it on the fire of faith. Build into lives. Build into lives. Do these things I've said. Thankful prayer, memorization, engage in service, but do it with others. Don't isolate yourselves. Wouldn't it be amazing if God gave you 80 years or 60 or 50 at the end of your life and you knew it was coming, you could sit down and write a letter like this. Think of a name in your mind right now that you might even write it to now and think of what you would say. Wouldn't that be such a blessing to you to be able to either be on the receiving end or the writing end of that? My challenge is that if you don't have a relationship like that, a disciple or a discipler, please, by the grace of God, engage in that so that at the end of your life you can come as Paul did, and say, I have a clear conscience. I have done what God has asked me to do in relationship. You know, I searched for a great illustration of someone who endured and did great things for God, an example of all that I talked about, of pouring the gas. I went far and wide on Google. But you know what? I found some great examples. I found a couple, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, who endured. I found Polycarp. There were formers who were burned at the stake for their faith, some of them just because they wanted a Bible that was readable by the common person. I found Billy Graham. I found others. Literally, as I was typing some of those messages, I really felt God impress on me one thing, that it's not just for them, that it is not out there for Timothy in his day, for those men and women in their day. And there are many great that you can read on your own that have endured and fanned the flame of faith but it's for you. And so it, I, I guess right now I would I want to say to you that you will be the heroes, as cheesy as that sounds. 
that you will be the ones, by the grace of God, who carry on the faith, who others will look to, your sons, your daughters, and your family, and your work. Prayer for us is that we will be the ones who will be looked to as those heroes of the faith. That's what this charge is all about. Maybe it's you getting up at 5 a.m. every day to pray. Or, some of you young people staying up till 2 a.m. The time of day doesn't matter. God hears you any time of day. So maybe it's you doing that. Maybe it's you being faithful in your marriage. Whatever it is, do that. And remember that when you do these things, when you are faithful to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, understanding that you have grace because you're undeserving, mercy because you are helpless, peace to still your restless heart, doing those things are like pouring this gasoline on the fire of your faith. May God help you to do that. And whatever you do this week, may he give you success in that. You bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we often come to the challenges in life with questions and doubt. Our culture seems to oppose us. Work seems to press in on us. Depression, discouragement, all of those things seem to rise up, and yet you are greater than them all. You've given us grace, mercy, and peace, power, love, and self-control to walk in a Christian life in relationship with others. May it be so of us, so at the end of our life, we might praise your name and say, I have fought the good fight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.